0: That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you.
1: Enjoy food the way nature intended. Alaska Seafood, wild, natural, and sustainable. For more information, visit wildalaskaseafood.com. I'm HRN's Executive Director, Katie Mosman-Wadler,
2: with a preview of the latest episode of Meat and 3, our weekly food news roundup. We're counting down the days to the 4th of July, so this week's theme is independence. After all, we're an independent food radio station. HRN is a labor of love. Staff, hosts, and listeners all share the belief that storytelling can change the world, one bite or sound bite at a time. We take a moment to ponder our founding mothers and fathers, specifically what they were drinking during the Revolutionary War. Rum in various combinations
1: with beer and cider would be the order of the day.
2: We highlight a story of self-sufficiency on the island of Vieques, Puerto Rico.
1: The biggest thing we did was to start a lot of fermented vegetables because we knew the first thing to go would be refrigerator trucks coming to the island.
2: And we examine the challenges facing independent grocery stores across the U.S. The struggle is real, but the future looks bright. Tune in to this week's episode of Meet and Three, available at heritageradionetwork.org and wherever you get your podcasts.
3: Welcome to Feast Your Ears. I'm Harry Rosenblum and I love to talk with people about what they do and how it influences their personal food stories. This is a show about people, life, and food. It's Heritage Radio Network's annual summer fund drive, and we could certainly use your help. If you are a first-time listener or a regular listener, any amount that you would like to donate to us would be amazing. We are a completely volunteer-run nonprofit organization, bringing you thirty-five, maybe even more, now shows every week from Bushwick, Brooklyn. I would also like to mention uh, that uh, yeah, you can get on heritageradionetwork.org slash donate to uh, to donate to us. Uh, also, on July 14th, please check out the Happy Family Night Market. The website is happyfamilymkt.com. It's a celebration of Asian American cuisine, food, drink, panels, and more. I'm going to be leading a discussion with some of my favorite fermenters about Asian fermentation and what it all means, so I hope you'll come and uh, and check that out. Today's theme is the burger, the quintessential American food. I've always felt like When this time of year comes around, you have to choose sides. And I'm not talking about the World Cup or which American beer to drink on July 4th. I personally prefer a PBR or a Gansett to a Bud or a Coors. I'm talking about what you eat when you go to a party in someone's backyard or on a stoop or on a rooftop. Do you ask for a hot dog or do you ask for a burger? For me, it's always been a burger. The hot dog depends a lot on what's in it, how it was made, how it was smoked. But the burger relies a lot on the person on the grill and where the meat comes from. Even if they just bought frozen patties from Costco, did they salt them? Did they flip them too many times? Did they grind their own blend of chuck, flank, and shoulder, add in spices, grind in mushrooms? The possibilities really are endless. When I was 12, I had an internship at the Peabody Museum in New Haven, Connecticut. I got to sit in a dark basement office and help catalog dinosaur bones. The two things I remember learning from that internship are that I did not, in fact, want to pursue my childhood dream of being a paleontologist, and that Louie's lunch invented the hamburger. The Maillard reaction on the outside and the juiciness inside, the crunch of a well-developed crust and the flavor burst and texture of a ripe tomato, lettuce, mayo, mustard is my favorite way to enjoy a burger. Maybe with some Swiss on there, too. There's so many ways. In episode 103 of Feast Your Ears, you can hear me cook up a lamb burger with Brian Mayer. Those were delicious, and I think I'll be making some tonight. For years, I felt that the veggie burger was a thing born of our ability to make just about anything, but that didn't mean it was going to be any good. I watched vegan college roommates microwave fake veggie patties night after night while I was cooking real vegetables, and I thought, why would you bother? Just eat delicious vegetables. We don't try to make carrots out of meat. As I was reading about my guest today, Chris Croner, and his new book, A Burger to Believe In, as well as his eponymous Croner Burger restaurant, where they served the Impossible Burger, I started to think about things I love about a burger that aren't about it being meat. And so I say to you vegetarians... Seek out a better burger or make your own, because the flaccid patties you get out of the freezer section don't stack up. Thanks, Chris, so much for joining me today on Feast Your Ears.
4: Hey, Harry. How are you?
3: I'm good. Thank you so much. Uh, So uh, I'm really glad that, uh, you know, glad we get to chat about all things burger.
4: Yeah, so am I.
3: So, you know, July 4th is coming up in a few days, and I'm guessing that you, like me, are the kind of person who almost always chooses a burger over a hot dog at at a party.
4: I often am the opposite.
3: Oh really? <laughs> Tell me about uh, that.
4: <laughs> well, f- for the for the same reasons that you uh may not choose a hot dog, <laughs> I often don't choose a burger. All right. <laughs> um I just often, you know, have have no idea where where the where the meat came from or what's in it and uh or have tons of faith in the, in the person cooking it. Sure, Detroit. sure, sure.
3: I mean, I suppose that makes sense, right? I mean, you've, you've written an entire book and dedicated yourself to perfecting everything that goes into, on, around, and about the burger. So I, I get that, that, you know, I guess most burgers probably fall short in your, in your opinion, right?
4: Yeah. I mean, often I also have a. a I grew up outside of Detroit and so have a, uh, an innate love for for
3: hot for hot dogs. Sure, as well. <laughs> I gotcha. I gotcha. <laughs> Absolutely. So, I mean, one of the things I would I would love to uh, you know to to touch upon. I mean, you know, people should definitely go out and check out your book. I mean, it really you know it, it does really present um, you know a lot of information if people want to go deep in how to make an incredible burger. And, and it's really great that you have a a place to share your knowledge and and all the work that you've done. Um, you know, I want to know kind of like how did, how did that come about? Um, what led to you being so obsessed with burgers that you would open an entire restaurant dedicated to them? Not that other people haven't done that in the past. Um, but to really go deep into, and to talk with people about what makes your burgers so great. I don't see, you know, I don't see McDonald's for instance, uh, you know, touting the fact that there might be as many as parts of 40 different cows in each of their burgers, right?
4: (laughs) Uh, no, they, uh, they definitely are not listing the cuts that go into their <laughs> blood. Yeah. Um, I, so I moved to San Francisco. Uh, at this point, it was seven, about 17 years ago. Um, I went to culinary school here. And when I first became the executive chef of a restaurant, it was a restaurant called The Slow Club in the Outer Mission hmm. uh, near Petrero Hill. Um, it was kind of the, the quintessential San Francisco neighborhood restaurant uh, relatively small, like 70 seats. We would have seats outdoors in the summer, um, a bar. And I mean, the people that ate there were a combination like KQED is right up the streets. So we had tons of people that came from KQED uh, for lunch. San Francisco general hospital is not far away. Um, and then in the evening, the, the building above the restaurant uh, was all a combination of like residential and live work loss. Huh? So all of those people that lived in this big building, um, ate in the restaurant and then er everyone from the neighborhood, in addition to just people from all over San Francisco. And that was really my, the, the, I mean, it was my, my second job in a kitchen. I started there as a sous chef uh, and eventually became the chef. Um, and that, that was kind of my first introduction to working with Sante Salvoni, who was the the, the chef when I started, um, he was really really focused on where everything came from that we used uh, in the in the food that we made. Um, so that was that was a bit of a revelation. Uh, and so in addition to serving all all sorts of delicious food, uh, the Soul Club had what was probably my first like revelatory restaurant burger. Mm. Um, I used to b- before working there would often go to the Soul Club. Uh, with a friend before we would go and see music and have a burger, have a bowl of pasta, pork chop, whatever. Um, and that, that burger was just so, so delicious and was unlike any any burger that I had ever had in a restaurant before. And, so <laughs> and once what... I I started working there, I realized that like 50% of the entrees that were served were burgers. Um, so we served tons of hamburgers and then they opened another restaurant with with the owner of the soul club aaron rooney and dog patch a couple of years later uh, we had a burger there that became popular and then when when i became the chef of bar tartine uh, we also served a burger um i i
3: ate one i ate one of your burgers at bar tartine once it was it was fantastic
4: nice that was um and at, at bar tartine we i really had the opportunity to like use a uh use a bun that was baked at Tartine Bakery yeah. and work with dry aged meat and like strictly grass fed meat um, I really just kind of hone in or, or had had a lot more control over every part of that process and like the ability to make something very very specific um, and when I, I left Bar Tartine to work on a project in Los Angeles that ended up dragging on and not not ever becoming reality um and took a temporary what was intended to be a temporary job as a private chef i lived on a uh a really large grass-fed cattle ranch up in far northern california um, and you know had had the opportunity to just see the see different um different breeds of of cow of of steer uh the, the differences, uh, in those breeds when it, when it came to eating the beef, um, experiment more with dry aging, do tons of butchery, actually slaughter animals, Hmm. um, which, which was something that I had not ever, uh, I had witnessed before, but not ever done myself. Um, and so when, when that job ended, the, I I didn't really want to open another, you know, fine dining restaurant or casual fine fine dining restaurant. And the the thought was because every, almost everyone has, has in the United States has some experience of a hamburger, some, some, you know, point of point of reference and whether they like them or really like them or, (laughs) or, or or, or don't like them. Have you Um, run across
3: many people who, who in fact are like adamantly anti hamburger?
4: Not really.
3: Yeah, uh, I mean, I, that's what I, you know, I'm, I'm curious just because I feel like, I mean, it seems like it's a pretty hard food to like really hate. I mean, I can see that people are like divided about like weird fermented things like natto. You know what I mean? But like the hamburger sure. seems pretty universally <laughs> enjoyable.
4: Sure. Um. And and honestly, in the and this this happened at, at the Slope Club and has happened so many times since uh, we had. A friend of mine, who was the, the one of the bartenders at the Slow Club, was had been a vegan for a very long time, and started eating meat again uh, after he had a hamburger at the Slow Club. Yeah, and then and then his wife and uh, did the same, and we we had have had that experience over and over, uh, as recently as um, as like three weeks ago. I was up in Sonoma doing some book promotion at, at scribe winery. Uh, we kind of took over their, their menu at the, the hacienda where they do their wine tastings for five days. And almost every day I had someone who was like, I haven't eaten meat in seven years and we're, we're here. And you know, this is you know, that seems so special, so I tried it, and it was amazing.
3: That's kind of a heavy thing. I mean, I mean, you know, it sounds like it has worked out really well in most of those cases, but that's a pretty heavy thing to tell a chef. I mean, I feel like I wonder what it's like for a bartender to have someone, like, walk up to the bar and be like, I've been sober for seven years. Now, give me a whiskey, right? Like, that's kind of a weird...
4: (laughs) I would, I mean, I'd I'd like to think that... um if you eat, if you haven't eaten meat in 6 years and you have a burger you don't then go on a self-destructive hamburger bender well i mean
3: sure 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 i mean yeah, i mean that was yes that that was not, i wasn't meaning to leap to that <laughs> conclusion i do have a friend who was sober for like 20 years and and you know got sober in college and and was a very young person when he was had a real drinking problem and now as a, like as an adult in his 40s has started drinking again and doesn't have a problem with it so like you know
4: right Right, right.
3: But but certainly, like, that's a weird thing, like, the first time, you know, I, I mean, I don't think he, like, announced that he'd been sober for 20 years when he, like, went and got a
2: drink.
4: <laughs> I would, yeah, I would, I would uh, I w- I'd wonder what, what the, how, uh, how willing that bartender would be to serve them that drink.
3: Totally, totally. So, um, so I mean, do, do you have any, uh, I mean, like, you know, this is probably a, a topic that you've been asked ad nauseum, but, like, you know, if someone who is interested in, in really in making better burgers, of course, I mean, they, they should obviously get your book uh, and they yes. should study it, but if they're not going to go to, say, the links at, like, tartine of, like, making the bun from scratch and and that kind of thing, like, what is the, what is the one most important thing that someone can do to make a better burger, like right off the bat.
4: I mean, so, so when we set out to write the book, I, I kind of had this, this vision in my mind of it being this blueprint of, of, you know, a very specific way to make the, in what is in my opinion, the best burger. Right. Um, which is, I mean, so we use, Dry aged beef that comes from grass fed organic dairy animals uh, in the Central Valley here in California. I mean,
3: what a, what a great way to use what what is like a, a you know a a great resource, and I'm sure that the those farmers were you know were getting pennies on the dollar. For that meat totally. before, right? It was probably going into dog food or something. And I, I know, yeah. I know full well that I mean a, you know, grass-fed dairy animal. Even I mean, and, and by the time it's passed its useful age, is so much older than any of the other beef or most of the other beef that you're getting in this country. But it has a ton of flavor.
4: Right, and that I mean that was so. My friend Cliff Pollard, who started the company's called Cream Co. I mean, he, so oh, he sure. identified um, that. This was a huge opportunity, and if you were selective in the dairy animals that you chose, uh, they very much could be restaurant quality. And he incentivized those those dairy farmers uh, by paying them a you know the the price that they would be paid if he if he was just buying organic grass fed beef, hmm. um, because as you said, otherwise they just go to commodity auction and they get next to nothing yeah. after this you know this person has spent but you know 7 to 12 15 years taking care of these animals and you know making sure that they're living as best a life as they can and producing organic dairy for for that amount of time and then they you know just go to come out of the auction right um, right silly. so so this is this is certainly an improvement and I mean in my opinion because they produce food for their entire life it's more has a you know just a, a different uh, kind of sustainability because they aren't just being fed to be killed at 18 months yep um, so anyway so we the, the original thought was like okay this is this is the one way you do it we're going to go through this whole this whole narrative of of what specifically to use and why and how to bake the bun and how to do this and how to do that and once we once we began talking to all sorts of different people, and I mean, the, the the first thing we did was go to went to Whole Foods, we went to Safeway, and like the little local grocery store that has a butcher counter next to my house, um, and just buy every kind of ground beef that we could, packaged. What was ground in the case? We had them grind specific pieces of meat, then made patties, and you know, compared every single. I think there were thirty two or thirty three. Uh, different vari- varieties i guess
3: yeah
4: um and and compared all of them side by side because we realized most people don't have access to what i have access to
3: sure and and most people aren't going to take the time to do that right i mean they might be they might be interested and they might think well i'm going to go to the butcher because i read this blog and it says it should have a little bit of flank and it should have some short rib and it should have some of this and then you know they're going to go ask their butcher who's undoubtedly going to be a little annoyed when they're like can i get one pound of meat ground from these right. three different things. Right. And they're going to be like, Oh, are you kidding? You know, that's ridiculous. I, you know, but I read about it on the internet. So, I mean, I think it's great that you are able to undertake kind of a like scientific look at it to then make suggestions.
4: Right. Um, I mean, and the other, the other thing that I realized is it's like, this is, you know, what we serve at Kronenberger as you know, it's my, my personal ideal, Right. It it isn't everyone, sure. and there there's got to be you know there has to be space for every every everyone's taste. Yeah. Um, so once we got into writing the book, it it became a lot more about like okay, here's the story of what we do, what why we do what we do. If you want to try and use these things, great. If not, here are all of these other access points, kind of at any level of interest. Like if you're just going to go and buy everything at the store and you don't want to make anything, great. Here's some, here's some pointers for how like little things that you can do to make a better burger, um, from selecting, you know, just, I mean, the, I think the, the easiest thing to do is be, just be more selective in the beef that you use. Yeah. Um, people often have, uh, the, the preconception that like grass fed is dry or tough or whatever, and it, it doesn't have to be that way. I mean, it's you know the dairy animals that we use have next to no intramuscular fat. They have a small fat cap. The musculature is completely different from um, from like an Angus animal. Right. So we add additional fat. Right. Um, so we you know we end up with like a thirty. It's about thirty percent fat in the in the Kroner burger. Partly because it's dry aged. Partly because grass fed. So you can use really good beef and still get a, you know, unctuous delicious hamburger. Um, I mean, the other, the other biggest, uh, biggest differentiator that we found that was like really easy to achieve was just using freshly ground beef instead of buying either something packaged or, I mean, even, even the stuff in the butcher case, it's like you have less control over, over the taste and texture. If it's something that's pre-ground and if you don't want yeah. to grind it at home, sure, it might be annoying for the guy at the butcher counter, but they're, they're, you know, they're also willing to do it. I've yet to yet to experience a uh, grocery store butcher that wouldn't just It's like, hey, I want a, you know, some chuck and some short rib and we want a pound and a half. Like, will you grind it? Of course, we'll yeah. grind it.
3: Yeah. I mean, I, I uh, always encourage people to have a grinder at home in part because it's I have two kids and so it's a great thing to have them do. Yep. Right. I mean, it's just like, <laughs> all right, you guys crank and I'll feed the meat into the grinder. Right. I mean, <laughs> like, it's a good way to get the kids involved. Um, and, and then I, I feel like it, it opens up so much other opportunity. Um, totally. in, in terms of adding in other things of, of, grinding your own lamb or, I mean, you know, cause it's like, there are other things that sometimes it's harder to find, right? Harder to find ground lamb, things like that. So yep. I think it, it opens up a lot of opportunity. Um, we're going to take a short break and hear from one of our sponsors here, but before we do that, I actually, one of my children is in the studio with me today. I have my son Frank who's 4 and he's been patiently raising his hand cuz I think he has a question <laughs> that he wants to ask. So I think Mr. Frank is going to ask you a question Chris. Okay, Mr. Frank.
4: I need I need I need to fresh air
2: now
3: you what, buddy?
4: You need some fresh air now. You
3: need some fresh air? <laughs> in this? Okay, well we are in a tiny little studio. I get it. But do you have a question about hamburgers? Mm. Yes, what is it?
2: What why? Why do ha- why do
4: hamburgers have more things than than hot dogs?
3: Oh, you mean more stuff on top? Like why do you serve them with more? That's a good question. So so Chris, um, you know, why do you think we have so many, like, toppings that people put? And I feel like it's gotten kind of out of hand in the past couple of years for how many toppings. Like, I saw a burger recently that I think had, uh, you know, tomato and lettuce and onion and guacamole and jalapenos and cheddar cheese and ground-up chips and all of that was, like, on a bun together.
4: Yes. Uh, (laughs) I, I think that once the... The like restaurant burger became a required menu item. Uh, people both had to find a way to differentiate, you know, what they were serving from what everyone else was serving. Yeah, which led to you know leads to the customization of of the toppings. Yep. Um,
3: Unlike a place like Louie's Lunch, where you can't get anything, you exactly. just get a burger on white bread. <laughs>
4: Exactly, and I, I feel like people also often use the the burger as the the uh, it's it's the thing that they they allow customers to like okay to to add stuff to and to change. So you right. have, that's why you you end up with guacamole or or uh, I don't know so many so many other toppings.
3: Right. Nobody's customizing their roast chicken. Or they're right. like soul mounier, but you right. can get whatever you want on your burger.
4: I mean, i I don't think uh, I don't think a restaurant would would be so keen on you adding like melted blue cheese and guacamole to your soul. <laughs> but 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 for some reason, uh, the the burger has become the vehicle to accommodate customer requests.
3: Yeah, totally. I get uh,
4: that. And I, I guess I don't know. Maybe the popularity of of places that i forget what like Rucker oh, kind of yeah. places where yeah, yeah, yeah. the the burger is your canvas to express yourself with movie nacho cheese and yeah
3: and, and like thousands of calories ex- ex- yeah.
4: <laughs> exactly jalapeno poppers yeah
3: totally well we're gonna uh, we're gonna take a we're gonna take a short break here from one of our sponsors when we come back i want to i want to talk about burgers that don't have any meat
1: Think about what it takes to swim a coastline longer than the entire eastern seaboard and leap tall waterfalls in a single bound. What does it take to survive 200 feet deep in icy saltwater? What would you be made of? Wild Alaska seafood is made of tight muscle mass, long chain omega-3s, and incredible micronutrients. It matters where your food comes from. Experience the flavor of the fittest in every bite and enjoy food the way nature intended. Alaska Seafood, wild, natural, and sustainable. Ask for Alaska on the menu, grocery store, or smart device. For more information, visit wildalaskaseafood.com.
3: Welcome back to Feast Your Ears. If you're just tuning in, my guest today is Chris Croner. His new book, A Burger to Believe In, written with Paolo Lucchesi has recently come out. And uh, if you're a fan of burgers, I suggest that you take a look. Before the break, we were talking about the overstuffed Americanness uh, of burgers. And we were talking about where Chris gets his meat uh, using up old uh, grass-fed dairy animals. But now I want to talk about the Impossible Burger. Um, I believe, Chris, that your restaurant was one of the first to serve it. Is that correct?
4: Yeah. So when we started serving uh, the Impossible uh, burger. I think we were one of like eight in the country. Um, we were the only in the East Bay. I, I, now they have. Uh, now that they have like a full-on production facility right. in Oakland, um, it's it's pretty widely available. Uh, but when when we started, we were one of a small handful of restaurants that had access to
3: it. So before that, did you make your own veggie burgers? I mean, was that something that you had explored?
4: Uh, yeah. And we still do. And that the recipe, that's the recipe in the book. It's the earth burger. Got it. Um, at the pop-up we had kind of, it was, it was sort of a revolving cast of all sorts of different, um, vegan burgers from falafel to, uh, we did like a marinated, uh, fried tofu that was similar to like a fish fillet kind of situation. Hmm. Um, I mean, I played with all sorts of things. Beets. Uh, I ha- aside from the falafel, I haven't never, did never really want to um, use like legumes, um, yeah. like fried legumes. I, I just always feel like they're it ends up as this kind of not you know not wonderful texture and not really that reminiscent of of uh, not necessarily eating meat, but just something that that holds together in the same way that a hamburger patty would. Right,
3: and and I think that people always sort of go to legumes and often go to tofu as a sub for meat and protein. And I, I, I believe part of that has to do with what we've been kind of like sold over the years in this country of, you know, like needing to have protein on your plate and needing to have carbohydrates on your plate. And you know what I mean? And like, so people are like, totally. oh, well, I need a protein and my protein can't be beef. So it's going to be this other thing.
4: Right. I mean, and the the other, I think, you know, if, if you don't if you don't eat or make a ton of vegetarian food, um, I feel like when people, you know, people's initial thought may be like, well, what like what's vegetarian? It's like a, a grain bowl or right. a lent a bowl of lentils and roasted beets. Right. Um, and those are just kind of like the the most obvious, the most obvious things that that people tap to uh, to make make some kind of veggie burger. Right. Um, so yeah, so we we do we still make uh, we still make the earth burger, and so once we we. We're getting ready to open Kroner Burger. Um, we did a couple of uh, tastings of just all sorts of different food, and a couple of the the evenings where we did these tastings, um, we just we made entirely vegan menus. Uh, and the so the the goal with the with the vegetarian patty that we made was to because I'm in Northern California, it was to be gluten free, right? Uh, di- Dairy free allium free and also, um, to hold together in a, in a way, uh, that felt more reminiscent of a burger. So we use a, it's a, a combination of cooked, uh, Yukon gold and sweet potatoes that are like whipped, um, or mixed in a stand mixer to, you know, kind of give them some, some glutinous qualities, nice. uh, to hold the patty together. Yeah. And then roasted they, stick uh,
3: more like a sausage, like a, like the way you, what happens when you whip up
4: to- ground meat? Totally. Oh, exactly. Cool. Um, and then in addition to that, we just really wanted to use, you know, vegetables, whole cooked vegetables. Um, so there's roasted cabbage, carrots, broccoli, cauliflower, uh, brown mushrooms. In the beginning, we also put, um, woodier mushrooms in the mix because it, it added a little textural variance So sure. it was pretty interesting. Yeah. Um, and then roasted tofu uh, and we, we blend all of that together um, or r- roast all the vegetables and then, and then uh, shred them or grind them and then combine them with the potato. Um, and then they, they can be baked, I, but I have found that they hold together best if they're fried, like blanched in oil and then mm. refried. So you yeah. end up with like a, a pretty crispy exterior And a um, a really nice uh, interior as well. Um, And when we that first evening that we served them, one of my good friends who was there eating, who actually was a vegetarian, actually thought that he was (laughs) that he was eating a hamburger. Oh wow! (laughs) Um,
3: But he was not intending to to you know be uh, off the wagon.
4: No. Well, and su- subsequently he actually at one of those tastings did eat a hamburger. Okay. And then months later I was down in LA, uh, and I went to pick him up at his apartment and he was like, I want to walk and take you to this place, uh, that I've been eating at a lot lately. I think you will really like it. And, um, we walked up the street and it was the, the shake shack that they had yeah. opened in Hollywood and he, he had been sneaking out of his apartment and secretly eating hamburgers <laughs> for, <laughs> for months. Um, And now, now he is, he's back to, uh, back to eating, back to eating meat as well.
3: Wow. That's, (laughs) that's, I like that. So, uh, so you're one of 12 children.
4: (laughs) Uh, yes, through, so both of my parents, (laughs) both of my parents are, are remarried. My mother, uh, relatively recently, recently, and my father has, has been, um, remarried since i uh, I don't know now for 10 years. Um, and so my stepmother had, had three kids and my stepfather has six and there are two of us. Wow! So now there, now there are 11 of us running the gamut from, uh, let's see, 26 to 49.
3: Wow. All right. And do you guys ever all get together? I mean, and then, and, and then I guess the subsequent question is like, do you then have to make burgers for the whole family?
4: So funny you should say that. Um, my, my brother Patrick uh, was married in the fall. And uh, so we had a, before their, their like big wedding party, we had a, a party at my mom's house for like a hundredish people. And so I flew Flew beef and buns and pickles and (laughs) cheddar mayonnaise home to North Carolina. And we essentially had a Kroner burger pop up in my mom's backyard. So that has, that has definitely happened.
3: Well, I mean, and, and I mean, what, what a nice thing to do for your family, right? Exactly. To get to, to be able to do that. I think that's, I think that's really, that's super cool.
4: It's also fun seeing, I mean, so, um, my stepfather's kids, most of them, I guess all but one have kids of their own. Um, so there's lots of nieces and nephews around and it's, it's actually been like a, a compliment from a child is, is kind of the best. I feel like a compliment from a child and a compliment from like someone who's really, really old are the best, the most honest compliments. Um, and so it's, it's been fun to see, you know, like a seven year old eat uh, really rare dry age dairy beef and love it.
3: Yeah. I mean, well, and, and also to, get, to be able to be exposed to it, right? At totally. That, at that young age. I mean, that's, you know, that's awesome. Totally. So, uh, I mean, do you ever get sick of burgers or have you? Like, have you ever, have you recently found yourself at all? I mean, you've been, you've been touring for the book. You've been going around. You were just in New York for like a week, week and a half, something like that.
4: Uh, two weeks. Two weeks. We, yeah, we cooked it cooked the diner at Ops. We did a, a demo at William Sonoma, which is where this woman who seemed like she was probably ninety said that it was the best hamburger that she had ever had, which was pretty funny. Yes. Um and then we did a party of Vice last Thursday.
3: Right. So I mean have you have you recently at all been had a moment where you're like, you know what? I just want a salad.
4: <laughs> uh, well we we serve a lot of salads. We I'm sure. at Kroner burger <laughs> For sure, um, and I eat a lot of salads, right. but I, I I don't ever. I mean, to be honestly, like because it's such a, it, it's never exactly the same. Yeah. The beef, right? Um, just because you know, because of varying times in in the, in the dry aging, uh, or various amounts of dry aging. In addition to the fact that just the 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 beef itself, it's not a static product. Like they. You know, they come from working animals. Some of them are seven years old. Some of them are 12 years old. So they're, you know, all all completely individual. So it's never really exactly the same. Right. Um, it, in addition to the fact that I'm constantly trying to, you know, to make tweaks and change things and improve it. Um, so I, I don't think, when I worked at the Soul Club, I ate, probably ate at least a hamburger a day, sometimes two, um, I definitely don't do that anymore, <laughs> um, but I, I still eat plenty of hamburgers, uh, actually ate, <laughs> ate restaurant hamburgers
3: while I was in New York as well. So. Well, you, I mean, of course, because you want to try other people's version, right? I mean, like, now now really? you're not just researching for your book, you're researching to see what other people are doing with it. I mean, it, it is, as I said in the opening, like, I do think that it is kind of the quintessential American food. For Sure. Well, we're, we're just about out of time. Um, do you have any other events coming up that you want to, that you want to mention?
4: Um, let's see. We will be in LA this week. Um, cooking at Juiceta on, uh, this Friday, which I believe is the 29th. Yep. Uh, and then we'll be back in LA later in the month with a couple of pop-ups. Um, back in New York pretty soon. We're opening a new restaurant that is not Kroner Burger, but we'll absolutely have Burger Patty Melt uh, Earth Burger in San Francisco in September, and then we'll, we'll take it from there. We're hoping to make it out to uh, Austin, Chicago, Portland, and Asheville before the year is over to wow. do uh, pop-ups as well.
3: That's killer. Well, I I look forward to catching up with you the next time you're in New York, and uh, I I for one will be going home to check out making the Earth Burger soon. I definitely want to try my hand at a at a vegetarian version of the burger, um, you know, just to see what I can produce at home.
4: Yeah, I'd love to, uh, and we we essentially make it the, the top it in the exact same way as the Kroner Burger. Uh, you can you can use there's a recipe for a vegan mayonnaise made with uh, soy milk. Um, but otherwise it's it's pretty the the setup is is identical so I would love to love to hear your feedback
3: awesome yeah i definitely i definitely will um well thanks for joining me you can find out more about uh about kronerberger at kronerberger it's k r o n n e r burger dot com you can follow chris on social media uh at kronerberger at Kroner c for your personal account right and then at henry's underscore berkeley Uh, which is another restaurant we didn't even have time to talk about. But if you're out on the West coast, you should definitely check that out. Um, And so I would like to leave, I'm going to leave everybody today, Chris with the recipe from the book for the bar tartine burger. um, Because I feel like that, that at least will get people um, hopefully, you know, hopefully everybody's in the mood with July 4th coming up to make some burgers. But I feel like this just at least outlines a couple of like tips and tricks in the making totally. and the cooking and the forming of the burger to really get people on their way to making a much better burger.
4: And there, there are also plenty of recipes for uh, July 4th um, applicable sides and salads in there. So
3: awesome. So Chris's recipe for the bar tartine burger, divide the beef into four, six ounce balls handling minimally, put a sheet of plastic wrap over a four inch ring mold on a cutting board or other hard surface. Put a ball in the middle of the mold and gently press down with the palm of your hand, forming a patty that is four inches wide. Pop it out with the plastic wrap. Put the patties on a large dish or a small baking sheet and refrigerate until ready to cook. In a cast iron pan or on a grill over high heat, cook the onion slices until charred on both sides, two to three minutes. Remove from the heat. Transfer to a small bowl and toss with sherry vinegar. Set aside. Salt both sides of each patty. I think that's very important. Before you begin cooking the burgers, get the buns toasting. Heat a cast iron skillet or similar surface over medium-low heat. Slice the buns in half horizontally. Smear two tablespoons of butter on the buns and place butter side down on the hot surface, working in batches if necessary. Toast until golden brown. Six to eight minutes, adjusting the heat if necessary. You want to do your best to time their completion to the burger cooking. While the buns toast, cook the patties. So there you have it. I hope everybody goes out and enjoys some burgers for July 4th. Thanks, Chris, for joining me. And I hope everybody will check out a burger to believe in.
4: Thank you so much.
3: Thanks for listening to Feast Your Ears today. big thank you to David Tattashore for engineering. Don't forget to head over to heritageradionetwork.org slash donate and support this and all the other great shows here on HRN. You can find Feast Your Ears as well as lots of other great shows at heritageradionetwork.org, Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Please take a moment to like the show if you did, in fact, like it today. And you can reach me via email, harry at thebrooklynkitchen.com. Follow me on social media at TheFoodballer. Talk to you next week.
2: Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you.